Good morning, Gospel Hope. How you guys doing? Hope you guys enjoyed the Thanksgiving holidays and was able to get past all of the Black Friday madness. Um, today we'll be continuing in our prayer series and um, let us go before the Lord um, in prayer. Father God in heaven, uh, we thank you, we praise you for who you are, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord God, use me as you see fit. Oh, Father, humble me. Um, Father God, I pray, oh Lord, that you will open up our ears, open up our minds to receive your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As, as John read, we'll be in Psalms 25. And so the Psalms are great because they give us insight into the inner life of the people of God who have gone before us. A life surrendered to God has never been all peaches and cream. There are highs and there are lows, and it's encouraging to hear that the believers from the past also have had deep fears, hopes, and desires. Look, if you love God, but you still experience unfulfilled desires and soul-numbing heartbreak and the rest of the range of human emotions, you are not alone. In fact, this has always been the experience of God's people. So my hope in this series is that you will continue to see that. In the mid-90s, um, my stepfather, um, his brother, and my brother and I used to travel to Pensacola, Florida to pick up my stepfather's nephew. And this was, this was the time before Garmin GPS, before TomTom, before MapQuest, before Google Maps, people had large hard copy maps. Some were regional, some were state. And so I remember when any time that they got lost or wanted to make a detour, trying to figure out where exactly they were going, they would always spread this map on the dash right, as a guide. So that map served as a guide. So just like my stepfather was in need of map for guidance on his way to Pensacola, David in this passage was in need of God's guidance. So the title of today's message is God's guidance is our refuge. God's guidance is our refuge. So in general, there are three types of psalms. There's psalms of thanksgiving, hymns, and laments. In this particular passage, Psalms 25, this is a lament. And typically in a lament, there is a concern, there's a complaint, or there's a confession. And, and, and the, the Psalter usually turns to God for guidance um, in the midst of his problem. So there are three reasons or three concerns that David is praying in this particular, particular passage. And there are also three reasons, three truths that we can believe about God in light of these concerns. So let's look at verse, verses 1 through 2. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. I love this, this opening of this passage because David uses the relational term for God. He uses the word Yahweh in the, in the Hebrew language. And he mentions it ten times, which signifies that he is crying out to the Lord. And it also signifies that he has a relationship with the Lord, similar to my four-year-old daughter, Skylar. She's always saying, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, that's what David was doing. And, and this is a sober reminder that, that prayer, oftentimes for me and my own personal prayer time, I, it's, it's a discipline that, I, that I'm typically just checking the box. But this is a sober reminder that prayer is not just a, a, a checking the box for us when we go about our day, but it's a giving of oneself to the Lord, trusting that he will care for us. 
But why? Why is David experiencing trouble? Why is he praying? Why is, is he lamenting to the Lord? As I mentioned before, he, the text give us, gives us three reasons, and those three reasons are this. He wants to be free from the threat of being shamed. He wants to escape his suffering, and he, he wants his sins to be pardoned. For the first one, free from the threat of being shamed. Look at verses 2, through, two and 3 and 19 and 20. It says, Psalms 25, verse 2b and verse 3 says, let, not, let, excuse me, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who wantonly treacherous, who are wantonly treacherous. Verse, verses 19 through 20 says, consider how many are my foes. With what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. So David didn't want to be disappointed. He didn't want to have trusted in something and in the end proves to be unworthy. This is the shame, I believe, that, that David is speaking of in this particular passage. This is especially true consider that David was surrounded by enemies. But don't we find ourselves in the, in the same boat? The scriptures give us at least two enemies that we have. The devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then secondly, the world, the world system or the world standard. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous people. You do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, make himself an enemy of the God. So the reversal is true. If we are friends with God, then we are enemies of this world. But sometimes we buy into the lies that the devil and the world system feed us on a daily basis. As a result, we begin to believe that our hope in God is hopeless. But Jesus defeated the devil. He has overcome the world. So we can say with David in verse 3 of Psalms 25, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. So David wanted to be free from the threat of shame. Secondly, he wanted to escape his suffering. Let's look at verse 16 through 18. It says, Turn to me and be gracious, for I am low, lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. And forgive all of my sins. So it's crystal clear here that David's suffering is increasing and that he wants out. But I love the fact that the Holy Spirit here was not very specific about what his troubles and distresses were. Lest we be quick to check out and dismiss the text, right? So we can easily identify with David because we all have experienced situations where we felt like issues were compounding. Or the concerns of life were piling up, as my mother would say, if it's not one thing, it's another. So, but this text, it frees us to bring, to bring all of our concerns to God. The small concerns, the big concerns, the simple concerns, the complex concerns. The Lord tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. So the basis of which we are cared for is not dictated by the type or the frequency of our concerns, but by a loving God who is concerned. So David wanted to be free from his sufferings. But also he wanted to, his sins to be pardoned. Look at verse 7, verse 11, and verse 18b. Verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11 says, 
For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And verse 18b says, and forgive all of my sins. So David understood in the midst of real trouble that he was experiencing, excuse me, his deepest need was for his sins to be pardoned and remembered no more. So in light of the, the issues and the, the trouble that David was facing, what did he believe about God and what can we believe about God in light of our situations and our troubles and our distresses? have three points. God's guidance is a function of his character. God's guidance is the fruit of our reverence, and God's guidance leads to salvation. I'm going to say it again. God's guidance is a function of his character, and God's guidance is the fruit of our reverence, and God's guidance leads to salvation. Say, where do you get that from, Travis? First point, verse 6 through 8. God's guidance is a function of his character. Verse 6 reads, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my, or, or my transgressions according to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. So David is appealing to, to God on the, excuse me, David is appealing to the character of God as the basis of his guidance. So we know from scripture that God has demonstrated his mercy and steadfast love by making provisions for Adam and Eve when they sinned against him in the garden. We know that he gave uh, Abraham and I, excuse me, Abraham and Sarah an offspring and Isaac when, 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 when Sarah was barren. We know that God delivered Noah and his family um, from judgment via the flood, and he delivered Israel out of Egypt um, under the leadership of Moses. So the list goes on and on how he has been faithfully guiding his people out of adverse situations. Verse, verse 8 says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. So not only God, not only does the Lord saves us, but he, but, but because of his compassion and, and righteousness, he sanctifies us. He doesn't just leave us to wander on our own way, but he is gracious enough to teach us, which is to look like Jesus. Listen to the words of Psalm 32, verse 8, which echoes this point. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. A proper understanding of the character of God will always lead us to a, place, to a place of embracing his instructions. For example, in my, it's been almost 10 years since um, I've been a working professional. And all of the bosses that I've respected, that I was able to follow their leadership and embrace their instructions, they always had character that was replete. It was consistent. They, they were good people, faithful people, fair people. And, I, and, and if I was in war, I would jump in the foxhole with them. But, but on the opposite, the bosses that I've had that I would like to say that I don't care too much about, to put it simple, um, I've always tolerated their instructions and their leadership. So the same with true with God. God character is, is perfect. It's replete. And so we, it, 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 with a proper understanding of his character, it would lead us to a place of embracing his instructions. And if we think about it, all of our sins ultimately stems from an unbelief in who God is. Right? So if, if I'm seeking revenge, right, we, I'm, 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 I'm believing that God is not just. 
Or if I'm, I'm, I'm plagued with anxiety or, or worry, I, I, I don't trust God. I don't, I don't think God is trustworthy. So God's guidance is a function of his character. He do good things because he is good. Secondly, God's guidance is the fruit of our reverence. See verse 9, 10, and verses 12 through 14, it reads, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love, and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse 12 and 14, through 14. Who is the man, who is, excuse me, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. And his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and make known to, to them his covenant. So there's three type of, types of people in these verses. The humble, the obedient one, and the man who fears. And here we see God's guidance as a blessing and, and, and fruit of those who are surrendering to him. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Psalms 51.7 says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel tells Saul that obedience is better than sacrifice. So why is this? Why it seem as if the, when we think about our conventional wisdom, the Lord just kind of turns it on his head? I'll tell you why. Humility before the Lord, obedience to the Lord, and fear of the, of the Lord are telltale signs that he has our hearts. Right. We are committed to him. So in this state, we begin to see ourselves rightly and see God rightly. This leads to loving his law and not loathing it. It, 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 we praise his precepts and not purge them. Now we can say with the Psalter in verses 1 and 2 of Psalms 119, blessed are those who, who weigh is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. God is not like this, like, like when we go to Costco and we can sample him, like those, food, those, little, those little food lines that we see at Costco. We can't just sample the Lord, right, and take a bite out of him and, and with, with no commitment to the product. But his guidance and blessings cannot be fully experienced and appreciated until we have yielded ourselves completely to him. So, so, so we, must, we must see his guidance as the fruit of our reverence. We must humble ourselves before him. We must fear him. We must be obedient to him. And we will see the fruit of his guidance. And thirdly, God's guidance leads to salvation. Verse 4 and 5 it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So God uses his words, his word to teach and lead us. Psalms 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So all of the Lord's teachings and instructions should lead us to Jesus, who according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is the church that, it is, it is Christ's church that the psalm is pointing to. Christ is the path, Christ is the truth, Christ is the way. So as verse 15 says in Psalms 25, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Christ is our refuge. Fix your eyes on Christ. He will rescue you from your troubles. So many of you have been trying to pluck your own feet out of the proverbial net or or follow your own way. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 reassures us. He says, come unto me. All you, are, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He also says in, in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. So what is the antidote? What is the antidote when he says, let not your hearts be troubled? He says, believe in God. Believe also in me, right? So God's guidance should lead us or has refuge in him. God's guidance is our refuge. Believing in God is the antidote to our troubles and our distresses. Thank you, brother. So what do I do next? In light of Psalms 25, when we think about our troubles, excuse me, and our distresses and our afflictions, the scripture tells us to point to God's guidance. But how do we, how do we apply God's guidance? How, how are we instructed? I say the first thing is to begin to read God's word. If, you're, if you don't have a steady diet in God's word, be consistent in God's word and reading God's word. Um, Ryan mentioned last week, starting the book of John. And so we must get a steady diet of God's word if we, if we are, if we are to, to, to receive God's guidance and instructions. He primarily speaks through us or to us um, from his word. But then secondly, we must engage in community. Um, we are all extensions of, of God's hand. So we guide, we guide each other. My wife and I were talking the other day and... Um, in light of not having a godly father in the household, a household and not seeing a, a true reflection of what marriage is and what fatherhood is, when I, when I began to tell her um, and, and, and answering the question, who taught you how to be a father, who taught you how to be a husband, it is God word, God's word primarily, but then I was able to see godly men who came alongside of me um, that taught me how to be a godly father and a god, godly husband, whether it was indirectly or directly. So we must engage in community where we can teach each other, where we can use God's word to, to guide each other. But then lastly, we must be honest in prayer. Um, god gives us peace through prayer. Um, the scripture tells us that do not be anxious for nothing but everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and make let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So we must be honest in prayer and giving our hearts and our soul to the Lord when we come to him in prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We give you glory, we give you honor, oh God, um, for your guidance. Lord, we know, oh Father, that your instructions, oh God, and, and the way you lead and the way you guide us, oh God, ultimately points to your son Jesus, who is the way, oh God. So Father God, I pray that we would set our eyes on him. Oh Father God, in the midst of our troubles, 
in the midst of distresses, in the midst of family issues, in the midst of health, Lord God, that we would believe on you, Lord God, and apply your word to our hearts, oh God, and that we would see you transform our hearts, oh God, to, to see ourselves rightly and to see you rightly. We thank you, Lord God, for your provision. We thank you for, for being our rock. We thank you, Lord God, for being our refuge. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.